So the big question is this. How can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag Run Pain Free Podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, gives you the answers. Thank you for tuning in to the Run Pain Free Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, and today we have a treat. Mr. Gary Corbett, running historian with an amazing set of accolades. He is talking to us in his open interview that we did with the Marathon Training Summit, where we interviewed tons of experts, and the information and the history he delivers on this very personal and wide open conversation that we have everybody should listen to not only just runners but anybody should listen to in my opinion it's just exceptional this is the open version of it and the advanced version you can find the link in the description of this podcast so get listening to it now because it's filled with info enjoy welcome to the run pain free marathon training summit i have a very special guest today mr gary corbett is joining us all the way from florida correct that's correct Jackson, yes Jacksonville. Welcome. How are you doing from all the way in Florida? How are you doing today? Uh, very good. Look, looking forward to this interview. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to speak with you and I'm going to give your background so everybody knows exactly who you're talking to. If you've been under a rock, you may not know. So now you're going to know. <laughs> uh, Gary Corbett, retired in 2011 as Research Director, WJXT TV Post Newsweek Stations, Inc. after 32 years. He currently serves as curator for the Ted Corbett Archives and historian for the National Black Marathoners Association, NBMA, huge organization. In 2019, he was included and inducted into the Black National Black Distance Running Hall of Fame for his work in preserving long distance running history. Gary also works at the University of North Florida School of Communication as chair for its advisory board. Gary Corbett's 38-year of broadcast research career started in New York City at the ABC Television Network, where he was a senior research analyst. Gary represented the Washington Post Television Station Group, Post Newsweek Stations, as a board member of the Media Rating Council, the Broadcast Education Association, the Advertising Research Foundation, and the National Association of Broadcasters Committee on Local Television Audience Measurement. Gary's proudest media research accomplishment is his years of providing research internship opportunities and mentoring college students. Gary is a 1973 graduate of Howard University with a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration. He enjoys long distance running, reading music and golf, and he and his wife Deborah are both native New Yorkers and live in Jacksonville, Florida. I give you a running historian, if you will, Gary Corbett. Thank you. So we're going to get right into it. First off, congratulations on getting into the National Black Long Distance Running Hall of Fame. That's amazing. Yeah, it, uh, it was, that was a nice honor. Very nice Wonderful, honor. wonderful. Yes. Um, so I, have, I, I always ask my runners what their reason is that they run, because I believe everybody has such a personal story with running and what got them to it and why they stay running and has it evolved from that why or has it stayed the same what is yours well I still uh, get a, a good feeling after a workout uh, you know I'm running a lot slower but I still am energized from a good workout and uh, that 
that that keeps me going. I don't race. I don't race much, uh, but I enjoy working out. And uh, you know, I've been around the sport all my life, so it uh, uh, it's uh, it's natural to just keep running and uh, and uh, and I feel that uh, building endurance uh, helps one when they have health challenges too. So I think uh, it can be a, can be a difference maker if uh, issues come up. Um, so I, li I like the I like the idea of being able to go out and, and, and uh, run uh, ten miles at the drop of a hat. That's a skill, Gary. That's a skill. <laughs> people really, that's like a goal so many people have. I just want to get up and run 10 miles whenever I want. That's a goal. <laughs> that's awesome. You just, it just feels good to you. I love that. Um, so the amazing Ted Corbett, New York's own, I think he's New York's own, was a pioneer in physical therapy and a master teacher of physical therapy with extensive contributions in the field and running, therefore. Um, I want to just say he was the first of physical therapists to study, teach, and practice connective tissue massage, PNF, which is proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, progressive resistance exercises, and applied kinesiology. What was his motivation in learning so many different aspects of how the body moved? Well, he, 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 he approached everything in a scholarly manner. So he... Uh... I, and I have all his papers. I have his class notes and different things and his writings. And uh, uh, he was very meticulous and, uh, you know, just uh, covered it from A to Z. So, uh, and he, 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 um, he traveled the world to study from the people that uh, invented these modalities. And then he was one of the first uh, physical therapists to uh, teach, teach this and practice this on patients. So uh, it's... Uh, there are times that I could I could make an argument that his contributions in physical therapy exceed that of his running, right. and because uh, here you have someone who is training generations of of uh, therapists, and he was uh, had unique he healing skills. Uh, mm. The stories I've heard uh, from people that uh, were patients was just just incredible, and uh, he. Uh, uh, one person said recently, you know, he was probably one of the first holistic physical therapists in the country. Uh, again, where you, you're taking standard practices and, and, and providing a holistic approach to it. Uh, you know, you, you've, I know you've looked, you've seen all his uh, continuing education work that he's done. It was always about learning. It was yeah. all about learning more and, and applying uh, new things uh, to uh, to his practice. It's just incredible. I, I appreciate that because I do think that I worked in PT at the same time as a trainer and a functional movement um, specialist at the same time. And I found it, I find what his work had, has done, how it changed what they were doing then. And I just think I, I wish more physical therapists took his approach <laughs> to uh, implement so many things like he did and not be just so one-sided with it. And I think he just had this, like you said, like a holistic approach and he came at it from every angle, but that just lends to how he approached the idea of physical therapy as a whole too. Yes, very much. Um, the, history, the history of running runs deep, I will say, and you seemingly have an affinity for long distance running and the history of the sport. What is your drive, not only for the research of it, but to share it and feed the research to the community for what long distance running has been? 
I had a unique vantage point. Uh, when the New York Roadrunners Club was uh, formed in 1958, I was seven years old. Wow. So I was at an age where I could see the sport as I was growing up as a teenager and into a young adult. I saw the I saw it all. I saw how the sport evolved and how, how, the, how it was invented. And I saw the people that invented the sport. And these people would be forgotten if, yeah. uh, if, if their names weren't uh, remembered and raised up. Uh, its history is very fragile, and if, if, if they're not, if it's not put down, uh, they, they, they would never be known. And uh, so I, had, I, I went to all the races, uh, even if my father wasn't at a, running in a race, I would be at the races helping out. And um, so I knew, I knew everybody, you know, the sport was small, uh, so I, uh, uh, I knew everybody. And uh, you know, the New York Rowans had a quarterly newsletter which was printed on our, our kitchen table, mimeograph machine, and uh, I would pass them out at uh, at the races, at the lot, at the ma major races of, of the day. Wow! And back then, a big race would be thirty-five to fifty runners. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it's come it's come pretty long away from that. But to be a part of that, I can't imagine your memories with with New York and the the running community here growing. It must mind-boggle you to see what it is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to it's, see it's, it's hard. To, it's yeah. It's it's so uh, so different on many so many levels. Uh, uh, one big level is just that back then everybody ran pretty fast. Ran fast. Oh. Uh, and uh, if you were in a six-mile race, if you ran forty minutes for a six-mile race, you'd be about last place. Wow. Um, the uh, marathon, the time limit was uh, f four hours. Wow. So if you were, if you finished above four hours, you were not, you would not be official finisher of a race. Uh, uh, I, I did some stats recently where 80% uh, uh, of the finishers, I think of in a cherry tree marathon, New York, the race that preceded the New York marathon uh, were under three and a half hours. Wow. 80%. So it's just, it's very different in that, that respect uh, also. Yeah. Um, I think well, I'm going to ask more questions about that later because I have a lot of questions about the, the growth of the community. Um, in terms of your dad and him running, do you know what got him into running and why he started running? Well, he was a sprinter uh, in high school and, uh, and um, he was influenced by Jesse Owens mm. and Ralph Metcalf. Mm. Uh, so those were his... Uh, uh, role models and people that he was, uh, you know, that, that got him going. And, and his first uh, knowledge about the marathon was seeing a newsreel of Tarzan Brown winning the 1936 uh, Boston Marathon. Uh, Tarzan Brown's a Native Native, Ameri Native American, uh, and uh, uh, so that was his first sort of introduction to the marathon. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And so in 1952, Olympic marathon, Ted Corbett was the first African-American to represent the USA in the Olympics, and he ran the 251.09. What did that mean to him, and how did it influence his running goals thereafter? Because that just that's changing the face of running, literally. Well, you know, making an Olympic team is so huge. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he, was, uh, he was a novice, so at a, he had an off day. He had, he had a side stitch the whole way. And then he had he had a second stitch, so he had I think towards the end he had two side stitches. Oh. Uh, so he was he was about ten minutes off from what he was capable of running, mm. but it was only his seventh marathon, and uh, 
he told me that uh, it took, it wasn't until 19, he, he did, his first marathon was in 1951 at age 32. Uh, so he was a late starter to the marathon. Wow, yeah. And uh, uh, it wasn't until 1960 that he felt he achieved his highest level of marathon endurance. Uh, and there's a, it was like a 10 year kind of rule uh, Dr. Joan Elliott uh, sort of advocated this where you have a 10 year window of, of improving. Mm. Uh, so he, in his case, he said it took him nine years to really get at a very high peak level. And that was the 1960 uh, Olympic marathon trial in Yonkers. Uh, unfortunately, he had a sprained ankle. And wow. so he could he finished seventh, he ran 236, but he couldn't, he couldn't exploit that conditioning because of the sprained ankle. Wow. Uh, now I made the team in 52, but one of his most disappointing races was uh, the 1956 Olympic trials. He finished fourth, one place out from the team. Oh my God. And, uh, <laughs> and he was a victim of tension. Wow. Tension got him, yeah. He didn't, he didn't, he said he, he could have, uh, he could have run uh, a lot, lot more miles at that same pace, but he just, he just couldn't uh, go any faster. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't, so, but that's that's part of it. You know, you you have you have a day, a day and a date when you need to perform. Right. And, you know, the body. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into. Uh, yeah. You know, being ready and prepped for that day. You get one shot. One shot. There's no yeah. redo on that on those race days. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. Amazing. Amazing information. I'm so excited with all the stuff you know. Um. So history. Um. We are going to bring, add more into this question. So there's a big group that we need to talk about right now. And it is the New York Pioneer Club of 1936. He was a part of that club. And it was the first all African-American club created in Harlem. And that changed in 1942 to welcome all races, creed, or color, resulting in the club being the first large-scale integrated club in any sport, amateur, or professional. Um, a pioneer in inclusion in this race community, which I think we can all learn from today. What can our groups learn from NYPC today, essentially from learning from history? Well, this is a, this is a, a, an important story that very few people really know. Um, but this, today's culture, inclusive culture of, of this sport worldwide, owes a, owes a thank you to uh, it really originated in Harlem in 1936. Yeah. Um, the uh, being an integrated club, an inclusive club, that's the culture of the sport that we enjoy today, and uh, that started that 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 led to the formation of New York Roadrunners Club. The Roadrunners Club of America follow follows that model. Uh, the entire sport follows that model. Uh, so you have a, a club that started by black individuals that became integrated in 1942. My father joined in 1947. And uh, it was a, a club where uh, Joseph Yancey was one of the co-founders or three black gentlemen co-founder. He was a longtime coach. And his, his thing was building men of character. Mm. Uh, he would, he would give you know, many lectures before workouts and just, uh, uh, using uh, athletics to build people of character. Um, it's uh, we're hoping to get the story better told because it's a it's a uh, civil rights story. Uh, it's a uh, 
It's a New York Roadrunners Club story because I know you want, you want to talk about the New York Roadrunners Club formation. It would not have been a, a New York Roadrunners without the a Pioneer Club. My father co-founded the New York Roadrunners Club with his teammate, John Sterner. Uh, uh, my father was an athlete first, uh, but when he saw a, a need for things, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say no to it in terms of things that needed to get done. Uh, he would have preferred not to be president of the New York Roadrunners Club in 1958, mm. but the club needed, needed him, so he accepted. But he was an athlete first, and that, that is, you know, uh, so these, these were a lot of things that, uh, you know, uh, take time, and uh, he, he put a lot of time into to all this. Uh, but there's a, there's a uh, the New York Roadrunners Club history uh, and the New York Pioneer Club history are intertwined uh, and uh, on a lot of levels. And I think it's important because I just, I know so many runners who've ran for years and don't, have never known about really what Ted Corbett did, who NYCPC is, that that was the first. And, and then, I mean, it, it was just so um, ahead of their time to be inclusive at that time, to include anybody and to, to, and to use it as a, a way for people to have um, peers that are intelligent and get more education from one another and use it as an uplifting um, unified athletic area for everybody to do in that time where that was just unheard of changing the word from color to all you know to all and all it's just it just lends to the forethinking of those founding members and then to know that those are the members who created New York Roadrunners I just feel like I don't know why it's not even more talked about said it should be plastered everywhere in my opinion yeah. like I'm a marketer, so like that should be everywhere. I, I just honestly, everybody knows the Ted Corbett race, which we'll talk about later and all that stuff, but this is huge. Like this is really the beginning of the, this very enormous culture here in New York, let alone, I mean, now there's LA Roadrunners, there's, there's a Roadrunners so, so many places that follow this model. So it's all from him and his work. So I just don't, I, I, needed to get to this with you because I wanted to bring light to it. I want people to hear about it and understand where this really originated from and how it came about because it's so important to the culture of running that everybody understands that. Um, uh, the the Pioneer, Pioneer Club was a home for Jewish athletes. Mm. Uh, the New York AC was exclusionary, did not allow black athletes or Jewish athletes uh, and did not allow, they only wanted fast runners. There was a gentleman named Gordon McKenzie, two-time Olympian, uh, who wanted to join the New York AC at a time when he was training, wanted to be sub four minute miler. Um, but at that time he wasn't good enough for the New York AC and they rejected him. The Pioneer Club welcomed him. When we say inclusion, not only race and creed, but abilities, all abilities were always welcome at the Pioneer Club. That was not the case in New York AC. Well, Gordon hmm. McKenzie went on to make two Olympic teams and the New York AC approached him at, uh, later on in, in his career, and he said, no way. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. Literally changing, and that really is what is today, because you have runners who finish in two hours right now, and you have runners that are out there till midnight coming in from the race. So mm -hmm. literally still all-inclusive for any and everybody who wants to attempt a marathon, they can do it. Mm -hmm. um, and it just lends to so much of this history, and I, I feel I, it's... It's, it's a, to me, just to be frank, it, it's annoying that it's not like more plastered everywhere, that the root of it somewhere should be cemented. Everybody should know this. 
Um, so like you said, the, the Roadrunners was co-founded by Ted Corbett and his teammate um, in 1958, and they only had 47 members and now has 60,000 members. Um, can you talk about what your father felt about it when it was growing so big and how, how it progressed and what he, you know, he created that, him and his teammates, they created that. What did it, what did that mean to him? How did he feel about the progression of Roadrunners? Well, the, the, the main reason that the uh, New York Roadrunners was formed for, to uh, create more races, more racing opportunities in New York. Mm. Uh, the runners had to travel mainly to New England to find races. So this just, this was, that was the main reason, just to create more racing opportunities. New England was the hub uh, for racing in, in the uh, Northeast and, uh, uh, so this, and uh, you know, if that's the case with other chapters of the Roadrunners Club of America, which was formed by Browning Ross, and New York Roadrunners is, is a chapter with the Roadrun of the Roadrunners Club of America. And there was a Middle East, Middle Atlantic version, and, and different areas of the country started to uh, uh, start their own local or regional Roadrunners Club, but mainly to provide more racing opportunities. That was the key thing. Wow, and so. Was this what he had an idea of it growing this big, where it would get this many people? And was it an idea of his, or did it just take its no, own? They had no idea it was going to get this big. <laughs> wow! Not even, not even I, I've, when uh, Bob Anderson started uh, Runners World or Distance Running News, they I have correspondence. You know that, that was it's just going to few. I don't know, I don't know exact numbers, but it's very low numbers they anticipated. They had no idea. <laughs> no idea. That is, and were they, was he pleased with it? Were they all pleased with it getting this big? Uh, he was, and there, there were some of the old timers a little resistant. Uh, yeah. During the, when the thing started to change and get a lot bigger, uh, but he was always open. He was always very progressive with that, and uh, you know, just you know, glad to see people out there and, and moving. And so it, it, it's a big difference, as I stated earlier. People back then, people were running fast. Everybody was pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and now that's not the case, but. They're out there and that's, uh, they, have, they have their goals and that's the beauty of the sport. They're moving, yeah, exactly. And even today, the fast runners get annoyed at the slower runners. So there's still that kind of, you know, <laughs> that mm -hmm. competition and all that, you know, so that's still kind of there. It's still, I think that's always gonna be there. I think culture is just the way. Mm -hmm. um, so there is the Ted Corbett race, which is a 15K race here in New York City that honors Ted Corbett. Uh, the first president of New York Roadrunners and the first African-American to compete in the Olympic marathons and an ultra marathon pioneer also who ran, he actually ran over 200,000 miles in his lifetime. He literally did change the sport of running. And what did this annual race with his name on it mean to him? Did he, what did well, he feel he, about he, it? It started after he was deceased, so a year after he passed. Oh. Yeah. But he, he uh, uh, the Broadway Ultra Society and Richard Emirato uh, put on numerous races in my father's name, honoring his uh, ultra marathon American records. And my father competed in those. My father walked, uh, started walking in his later years. Uh, he came down with asthma in uh, 1974-75 and that, that stopped his really competitive racing career. Uh, mm. But he took up race, race walking. And uh, so Richard Amorado would put on uh, tw a 24 hour, uh, you know, 25th anniversary of his American records at 100 miles in his 24 hour race. Uh, last year, there was a, uh, uh, a Ted 100. Last year would have been his 100th birthday. 
Wow. Uh, there's a race up in New York, 100 mile and 100 K. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, my father, uh, you know, it's a nice honor the New York Roadrunners Club do, does with the annual race. And, uh, but uh, yeah, he, 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 he missed that one. He missed that one. Have you ever been up here for the race? Yeah, I've been running it pretty regularly. So, Good yeah, for I, you. I, yeah. I think I've seen some pictures of you with BMR shirt with you. Yes. I yes. think that was at the Ted Corbett because it's a cold race. <laughs> yes. It's a very cold race. Um, yeah. But everybody loves it. Everybody loves the Ted Corbett race. All our runners race it, honestly. They look forward to it. It's after the marathon, it's less pressure and it's more fun for them. So it's a great mm -hmm. race. Um, the Road Runners Club has been nice uh, where they, you know, I, I usually put on a, a, a panel discussion uh, a night or two before at the run center. Mm. So we bring, bring the history, in yes. other words, just to bring the history to, to the people. I think more of that needs to happen, to be honest with you. There's so much history with running. I mean, and even um, it goes, I mean, they say it's the oldest sport. People have been running forever. So it's just, it has so much depth to it. And I, I wish that happened more often. I just feel like there's so much more to give to the sport with people know about it. Sure. Um, so he actually was the first runner, long distance runner to incorporate weight training um, changing the physical look and the power of long distance running. Can you lend some insight to how that regimen, how he incorporated that regimen for him and what it did for him and his running? I think he, he, he probably got it because he's, he's using, using his techniques with his patients. Mm. Uh, progressive uh, resistance uh, tr exercises. Uh, but I, I always remember there was a, a magazine called Iron Man. He'd come to the house every know, monthly or what, but it was always... Uh, come through, but uh, he was uh, light years ahead of uh, uh, the field in terms of using weight training and, and training. And I know I, I've seen some of the writings where he was very disappointed in Arthur Lydiard, uh, who did not uh, advocate weight training. Mm. Uh, there were very few, there was Australian coach Percy Sarity, who my um, father corresponded with, who was an advocate for weight training, but there wasn't there wasn't many out there that felt that was the way to go. And father was was into it in the 1950s. But he was he was he talked to people that uh, knew him and uh, saw him in action in terms of the way he uh, approached uh, uh, rehabilitation and uh, training. He was ahead of his time in so many ways. Way ahead of his time. Because even today, I still argue with people who don't weight train. <laughs> so, and I'm, you know, there's a reason for it. And it's, there's scientific research for it for a reason. So, yeah, yeah. I applaud him. For, I thank him for it. I thank him for my end. I thank him for incorporating that and bringing that into the industry as a whole, especially when it comes to injuries and coming out of injuries. It's exceptional with that and what it does for people. So, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Well, we are gonna go on into advanced session with more conversation with Gary Corbett on the history of running and of course about Ted Corbett. Link, links below to all of his story information below that you can get more information about what we're talking about, but come on over to the advanced session and learn more. Now, if you think that was a lot of information, wait till you check out the advanced session. The description of this podcast holds the link <laughs> so that you can go over there right now and listen to the advanced session for Gary Corbett. He gives so much more information and gets even more personal and it was quite special. So I really hope you take a chance to go over there and listen to it. Also, you'll find all of the other 20 experts, which I'm sure you'll be surprised at learning about. So you should go over there anyway so you can see who else was involved in the Marathon Training Summit. Enjoy the advanced session. Have a great day.
You're listening to the Run Pain-Free Podcast, brought to you by the Run Pain-Free Academy, featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes. 